from Los Angeles, California on the MTV Podcast Network. This is North Mollywood. I'm Alex Papadimus. Our guest in the studio today, Alina Smith, a writer for The Affair. Her play Icebergs is at the Geffen Playhouse here in Los Angeles through December 18th. And as always, seated across the table from me, MTV News' tricameral mind, Molly Lambert. Hey, everybody. Oh, I forgot to say hi. <laughs> it's okay. Hi. It's understood that you're present. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to North Mollywood. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We were going to talk about some more Westworld, believe it or yes. not, today, kind of a post-mortem yes. on the season. And then we were going to talk about your play a little bit, about icebergs. And then we were going to give some some holiday recommendations for people in Westworld withdrawal and otherwise in withdrawal from uh, things that will make you feel less terrible about everything. Um Let's just say straight off the bat that the connection between Westworld and my play is that my play is at the Geffen, which is in Westwood. And I, for the past two months, have been accidentally saying Westwood every time I want to say Westworld. So if it happens on this podcast, just know that that's why. You said it kept happening. And I was like, (laughs) I believe you. But it also feels like a bit. And then I did it. (laughs) No, it's really hard. And it's like, oh, the traffic in Westworld. Well, no, that's the opposite way. But people are like, what are you watching? I'm like, Westwood. No, it's very hard. To get to, and then you're trapped there. <laughs> exactly. And it costs forty thousand dollars a day. There's something vaguely dystopic about it, even though it's very shiny and bright. It's very dystopic in <laughs> Westwood. Yeah. I saw Icebergs, your play, finally, and I remembered that about a year ago I had told you that we were having my friend Lily Simonson on the podcast, and that she was an Arctic. You were, you were like, oh, is she an Arctic expert? She's She knows about the Arctic. And I was like, well, actually, it's the Antarctic. And you were like, oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, there's a line in the play where the main character basically says that. He's like, Antarctica bores the shit out of me. The Arctic, that's where it's at. Well, and love, he goes on to explain why that is. I love is, that but... part of the play because that's sort of the – I will set up your play a little bit for okay. you. Okay. So you don't have to because you've probably done it. Before. Sure. Thank you. Which is that your play is about people living in Silver Lake. It's about a married couple in Silver Lake. Uh, and their out-of-town friend who comes to visit and their in-town friend who also hangs out a lot at the house. And the main character, Calder, is a writer-director who's working on his second movie, which is about the journey. Is based on, you said it's based on a true story in the play, but I have no idea if it's actually based on anything real. It's not based on a true oh, story. Well. But he says that it's based on a, on a true story of a memoir that he found at a used bookstore in Echo Park, which I think you guys have both been to that bookstore that he's talking about. But it's, it's, not, a real, um, it's not a real story, actually. Although I did read a, a few different memoirs of polar expeditions and borrowed a little bit of um, details from each one to sort of construct. I'll tell you what actually happened is that for a while I was trying to develop a TV show that would be um, like n- a new northern exposure but take place in the Arctic. And it was supposed to be um, that there was a female explorer who wanted to go to the North Pole, but when she gets all the way up to northern Canada to where she's going to do her expedition, she can't go because global warming has melted all the ice. And so she gets stuck in this town and then it's like hope, then it would have been just like northern exposure, i.e. like let's all hang out at a bar with a bunch of like multi-generational characters and and hang out. Um, I then gave up on that idea, but I had done so much research about polar expeditions, the North Pole and global warming and how, you know, the Arctic is changing so quickly that they're literally redrawing the maps of the North Pole and the ice there, like as we speak. And um, I wanted to put all of that somewhere. And then I had this idea, what if 
uh, it was just a play, basically a dinner party in Los Angeles where somebody announced that they were pregnant and somebody else said a very taboo thing, which is it's unethical to have a child because of global warming. Um, so that was like, and then I, and then that's not exactly what happens in the play, but it's something like that. And I just sort of took all my research that I'd done for this TV show and made it Calder's research for his movie that he wants to make. Well, the fake, the fake story of the fake movie yeah. was very believable to me because mm. it is about the idea that somebody wants to go not to the North Pole. Yes, to the North Pole. They do want to go to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Showing my really hard science background here, they don't want to go to the North Pole. They don't want to go to the South Pole because the South Pole is boring because the South, the South Pole, Pole is on land. Is on land, and the North Pole is like very exciting because it's just in the middle of the ocean. Right, and, and so the whole point is that the only way to get to the North Pole on foot is to um, to go when there's daylight. Because at some point in the year, it's 24 hours of darkness in the Arctic. But there has to be early enough in the year that there's, that the ice is frozen and thick enough that you walk on this ice. And even when you're walking on the ice, I'm now basically paraphrasing a monologue from the play. But, uh, you know, you, you could go like nine miles forward, but then you're camping at night on this block of ice and it floats you back 20 miles in the wrong direction. So it's very hard to get to the North Pole. But soon in our lifetimes, possibly like next year, it will be impossible because there will be no more ice. So whereas the South Pole, if all the ice melts, you still have a continent there. You can just walk there. But you can't walk to the North Pole because it's in the middle of an ocean. So the North Pole is way more hardcore. Exactly. As a result. And much, and much more mysterious. And also like something that the play is trying to get at is also that it's there's something irrational about it. I mean, who cares about getting to this one point? Like it's this abstract geographical point that we invented sort of. Um, why do why have people for centuries struggled to get there, to reach, you know, the top of the world? Um, I think and then it connects in the play to the question of why have a child that it's ultimately like. Or why make a movie or why do anything? You know, it's 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 a search for meaning. In some sense, there's going to be a way in which it's arbitrary, but we need it in order to live our lives. We need, we and need then goals. The thrust of the play. <laughs> Hashtag goals. <laughs> um, and then the, thr- the the story of the screenplay, which is based on this a fake true story, is that they it's about a couple trying mm-hmm. to get to the North Pole and that they ultimately fail and somebody then somebody dies the next day in a car crash. Yeah. <laughs> So so he wants to make so Calder wants to make a very sad movie about a couple that tries to get to the North Pole as like a declaration of their love and fails. And then the guy says, don't worry, sweetheart, we'll get there next year. And then the next night he gets hit by a drunk driver outside of the base camp. And then what happens is that the studio says to him, you know, is there any way you can make it have a happy ending? And this is part of the fight that he's in with um, his agent, who's another character in the play, who's who's sort of trying to massage him into agreeing to make the ending a bit more hopeful. And, you know, this is kind of like me as the playwright struggling with how do you write about global warming if the situation seems pretty bleak, you know, like I don't really know that there's so much hope to give, but people really want hope. And so you wrote this and then uh, it's sort of thrown into a new context, right? Mm -hmm. Like when was the first preview of this play? Yeah. So the first preview of this play was on a Tuesday November 8th, which was election day. And I was sitting in the back row of the balcony on my phone. You know, we had all come to work that day thinking, come to the to the first preview. And everyone said, oh, the results will be in early at 8 p.m. California time. You know, we'll be able to make a little curtain announcement. We have a new president. 
And um, there's actually a line in the play where someone says in an offhand way, the future is female. And we all thought everyone will just stand up and cheer for that part. <laughs> um, and instead, the actors had to go lie down on their cots in their dressing rooms about an hour before it started, like all having panic attacks. It was not looking good. And then by 8.30, I was sitting in the balcony on my phone as like the audience was enjoying the play and the play was going well. But I was getting texts from people going, do you understand what is happening? And I was on Twitter reading that it was the end of the world. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. But everyone has has had everyone involved with the play has had a, a has has noticed that since Trump was elected, climate change and global warming have been in the news vastly more than they were the week before. Great promo for your play. I mean, the world's failure has become my play's success. So. There were a lot of things in the play where I was like, did you rewrite this yesterday? Right. Well, there's also a big speech um, that that took a lot from the Black Lives Matter movement and is about a, a guy who's a professor and has a swastika drawn on the door to his office. And I, yeah, I mean, I wrote all of it a year ago. So all this stuff has been percolating in the water, but it's 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 maybe easier for um, for liberals to see it now. I don't know. Well, Molly, what did you did you like the play? Did you have a good yeah, time? Yeah, I loved the play. Great. I loved the play and it felt very close to home like a hundred billion times and not just because one of the characters is named Molly. Right. And because it takes place in the neighborhood that you live in practically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, good. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, and I thought all the actors were really terrific and uh, it's a great ensemble and everybody should go see it at the Geffen until December. One more week. 17th? Alex, go you, see it. You just looked at me. You're like, you have, you have one more week. Alex, who doesn't go see, doesn't support the theater, doesn't support go see. Support the arts more now than ever before. It definitely made me be like, oh yeah, theater. Because mm -hmm. I also used to write plays a lot. There's also some jokes in the play about how nobody does plays in Los Angeles. Yeah. And kind of, yeah. So maybe we'll start doing more plays in yeah. Los Angeles. I mean, what's great about it is it's sort of just an open field. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can just be like, hey, I wrote a play. Yeah, exactly. Cool. What's that like? <laughs> right. Nobody cares about that because they want to write TV shows right. mostly, so they're not right. threatened. Right. If you're like, I wrote exactly. a play. Exactly. It's very loose. It's very relaxed. Molly and I are going to rush our podcast play into production <laughs> as like the, to just deep impact you. your Armageddon <laughs> with a play about some podcasters and things things go awry. Yeah. Well, the podcast play is – I can't wait to write the podcast play, actually. I need to I need to hurry up and do that. Wait, my one other idea for a play right now is a um, one-woman show about Jill Stein where we tell the story of the 2016 election from the perspective of crazy Jill I Stein. love that idea. We talk a lot about, like, crazy women and yeah. how we love them. I think it will begin with – you'll come into the theater and Jill Stein will be tied to a stake about to be burned. And then she'll be like, wait, wait, wait. Let me explain why I stole $7 million to buy crystals. Just – step down off the stake and then yeah. like from from stage right out comes like a top hat and cane like <laughs> exactly. and she's like welcome to my life i am still here <laughs> guys this is a great idea okay i'm gonna start tomorrow i would like that yeah also yeah both of those things good we're gonna take a break for an ad but when we come back we will talk about westworld John Levenstein, who was our guest last week, said that the part of Westworld, the Westworld finale that he thought was the most ridiculous was when they had the, like, gala dinner in the old West Town. Mm. And I said, no, that is super realistic because they do this art fair every year now at the Paramount Ranch, which is in, like, the hills between Calabasas and Malibu. And it's totally 
rich people wandering around in a fake old West town. Isn't that what the party in, uh, uh, it's not Mulholland Drive. It's the party in Mulholland Drive, right? Where he sees the cowboy. Oh, yeah. You know, or the guy's like, I will see you one more if you do bad. Like that, isn't that like at the movie, like some kind of like fancy dress party at a movie ranch? Am I making this up entirely? I feel like I'm not. The point is, we should all have fancy dress parties at movie ranches because I was like, ooh, that sounds great to me. If it's not realistic, it should be realistic. That should happen way more often. I mean, do you guys ever feel like the parts of Westworld you're the most interested in are the parts where you're seeing actual life outside of the park and getting glimpses of whatever this society is that sustains Westworld, the theme park. I am fascinated by the the, the two uh, shithead lab techs, and I want that. That's the the spinoff that I want. Is like who are <laughs> that those would people? Be the better call Saul who are of the, Westworld? Yeah, no, that's what I want. I want like the sort of the menial laborers, the you know the concessions people. I've the always train said that about driver. Jurassic Park too. Yeah. I've always been like I want to oh, know. More more yeah. about the mundane workings of like the people who work at Jurassic Park and like what's yeah it's like northern exposure but it's Jurassic Park they right. all I feel like George Saunders could write could write a story about Hey that. he doesn't get to monopolize okay, the entire right. sci-fi theme park genre <laughs> yeah. some of us also are trying to get in You don't own dystopia George <laughs> you Saunders don't own dystopia this is look. It, this has been bubbling under this thread of hatred for George Saunders. It's like <laughs> it's this is where we go. Where we go of, negative. It's not a thread of hatred. It's just that ever since he said he used to be really into Ayn Rand, I can't trust him. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh God. He was like a but young guess Republican. What? George Saunders' daughter is named Elena, spelled the same way as me, A L E N A, which never happens. But she's a robot clone of you. Oh, well, that's that's, that's very sweet. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very flattered. <laughs> um, I want to talk about. So, Wait, so did you already talk about the Westworld finale? No, no we talked the, about... Oh, we, great. Well, we need This to is what we do. It's been a long time since Westworld was on. It'll be even longer by the time this podcast airs, <laughs> oh, but right. we just talk about it at our own pace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And people who are just gradually catching up to it. We like to think of this There's podcast as... Yeah, for 10 years from now. The moon has exploded. This. The moon yeah. exploded into a ring around the earth. <laughs> and we have takes on the Westworld finale. They just put the soundtrack on Spotify. I like to play the theme song every morning and pretend it's the first time I'm hearing it. <laughs> it's the second time I've said this today. I've been saying I've had a lot of moments recently where I wished my memory could get wiped at the end of every day. <laughs> I've been like, I want to unsee that. Just get back in your loop where it's I comfortable. Saw, I was looking at some nature website where they just had a picture of like an elephant placenta. No, it was in that David Attenborough documentary. It was just like an elephant placenta. And I was like, ooh, I wish I could erase five seconds of the time that just happened. What age would you guys want to be trapped at if you were a robot in a mm, loop? 25. In a narrative. Okay. I feel like I was always like striving to be 25. And then ever since I've been 25, I've been like, no, that was good. I was fine mm. there. I don't remember being 25. It was terrible, actually. I don't actually want to be. Yeah, I'm I just saying. I was thinking about this because we were talking about, I forget why, we were just talking about 2,000 songs on yes. Twitter last night. And I was like, oh, there's literally not one song from this era that I have a positive association with. I know. With. I, I saw you guys all talking about that, and I was like, I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> like, this does not inspire me. <laughs> I love talking about that because guess what? That's now the good old days, guys. Oh, it's all coming back. I yeah. Know. That's now the time that we think about fondly because it's not now. Yeah. Which is scary. A time when no doubt shrieked into our ears. No, that was the 90s. Oh, it's okay. I blocked out the 2000s. No, like Hella Good was in the 2000s. There was a no <laughs> doubt. The second wave, no doubt, is That's uh, a good song, Hella Good. Almost like third wave. <laughs> you got to save this for the third wave ska podcast that we're going to do. 
next week. Great. And for 12 weeks thereafter. It's the third wave <laughs> ska series. It's the it's, 12 weeks of ska myth. It's like a hardcore history type podcast, but about ska. Skanica. <laughs> we do. Three well, I think shows. I would want to be a very old woman on a porch just sweeping because then nobody would rape me. <laughs> so, so you'd like to be like, the, da- like the dad, you, like Dolores' dad, like yeah. occasionally. I'd like to no. be Dolores' dad's mom. Who's also there oh, and like, just sort of sweeping. Sort of like a Westworld whistler's mother. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying the people yes. who come to Westworld are so depraved. I know. Who knows? They're going I could straight. get into some shit. This is the problem, yeah, that I have with people being like, you know, I can't believe Westworld just shows that everybody's fantasy is murder. It's like, no, people who have $40,000 to spend on a re- virtual reality their vacation, they're terrible people. And so that explains everything and like solves every problem. Don't you think it's you saying that like if anybody could kill a robot they might like just want to see what it's like yeah because it's aspirational it's saying that the thing we all aspire to is to be rich murderers or just like that you know maybe everybody would want to kill somebody if there were no consequences yeah i just i i I wouldn't i just don't i don't know but i i don't like i don't think i want to i don't i don't want to kill an animal i could kill an animal right but an animal is alive what if oh Okay, would you, but the whole point is that they seem alive. Right, but you're shooting at a tin can. Right, I mean, I also don't play video games, so, you know. You know, I don't love first-person shooter video games, but I love, like, Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. I like fighting games. I just generally think that Westworld would be a pretty stressful vacation and that I wouldn't be able to necessarily find the things I like to do on vacation while I was there, which is, like, read in a corner. <laughs> you could totally do that. You could be the school marm. But it would be a waste yeah. of $40,000. You could just waste. go to Lake Como with that amount of money. Like, <laughs> which is also where the mountains meet the sea. I also think that like, there's just no way that Westworld would come into existence without a lot more presence of brand names everywhere. Like there would be branded Budweiser at the bar or Coke or, you know, there like the, 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 the complete absence of advertising in Westworld is actually one of the best things about it because it, it's not interrupting. Well, your... it's all an advertisement for the Delos Corporation. Oh, right. But you would go that you could get away from advertising by it's going. It's like Trader there. Joe's. Sorry. <laughs> Everything is just Westworld brand generic like yeah. a repo man. It's a lot like Trader Joe's. <laughs> that is really, that's very true. Also, like, Trader Joe's kind of puts you in mind of the Old West and you feel like you're, you know, part of an adventure. Like, I'm going to get my sacks of grain and also, my peanut butter cups. <laughs> Trader Joe's is really a subsidiary of Aldi, the socialist German grocery store. Wow. I used to work at Trader Joe's. <laughs> is that why everyone's so nice? Well, that's part of the corporate policy. Mm-hmm. Which is also like very Westworldy. Like everyone's got to be nice on mm-hmm. purpose and pretend to be interested in you. I mean, I'm very into the whole every day is a loop thing because as somebody who's gone to Disneyland eight billion times, uh, when you go to Disneyland eight billion times, you become aware of like at this time in the day, there's a fucking parade every day, and everybody has to be excited about the parade as though it's never happened before because the people that are visiting have never seen it before unless they go every day. Mm-hmm. And that is very weird to think about. Just there's like a daily schedule. And the Disneyland employees like love to pretend like it's very exciting to work at Disneyland. But I imagine working at Disneyland gets very old very quickly. And that seeing all the, you know, mundane stuff would kind of... But luckily they're robots, so who cares? Right. (laughs) That is correct. What do you think is going to happen in Westworld season two? Uh, well, first we should talk about Eastworld for one second. 
Yeah, so it ends the episode uh, like it it ends with uh, you know pretty much upends their whole status quo, changes the entire show. But the, yeah, the most exciting thing to me is that we finally got, as I kind of thought that there would, we finally got a glimpse of samurai some of the world. other worlds. Mm-hmm. SW, which is presumably samurai world. There was a moment, I think you said this, where you thought it was going to be Southworld. That was me, Southworld. And then I was like, that's where the most the fucked up really people rotten. go. really rotten. But then I was also like, you know what? It's not more fucked up to go to Old Southworld than to go to Westworld. You basically are. That's what that is. Yeah. You're just in the kind of like far left corner of Old There's Southworld. some Civil War stuff happening in, I mean, but like, think about Civil War reenactors. What a weird, there are people that do that. People would totally go to Old Southworld, which is why my new but plan. But there's Civil War stuff at Westworld. Right. There can't be Civil War stuff in all the worlds. <laughs> it's people love the Civil War <laughs> that care about historical reenactments. Yeah, okay. So we tell everybody that there is an old South world. And then we like create a fake map point as to where that is, perhaps in the middle of the ocean by the <laughs> North Pole. Um, and then we tell everyone to go there that want would want to do that. And that's how we make Pizzagate positive. And then you build the wall. <laughs> We built the wall on top and around. It's kind of a dome. This is my problem with your dad's theory, by the way. Like there is a, we've seen the butte. There's like a, there is a physical location where some of the like, no, none of it's part real. stuff is. None of it's real. In my mind, I think it's all hologram. Like, and where are we really? In a fucking like green room. Okay. So everybody's just floating in like a gel tank. So there is somewhere. no landscape. Yeah. You think it's all holographic? I think, you think it's all the matrix. Yeah. Why would they bother having the train? The train is just to psychologically make you feel like. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, and then I was reading all that stuff about the German festival of old Wild West stuff, which exists. Um, Do you guys want to hear the sad hole that that my friend found yes. in the? It's remember when Jimmy Simpson arrives and he's talking to the 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 lady in the sort of like foyer before he enters Westworld, and she. Appears to be a robot who hints at knowing that she herself is a robot. Do you remember that? Because she, she's like the sexy one. Yeah, and she says something like, "You can do whatever you want to me," or, or something. Maybe it's even more than that, but I, I can't quite remember. This is my friend's theory and not mine. But, but the point being that, like, if she knows she's a robot, then robots can know that they're robots. Oh, but then robots did know that. Like Jeffrey Wright knows he's a robot by the end of it. Right, and and f- Maeve knows she's a robot. It doesn't matter. To oh, I them. love that James Marsden, Teddy. I like that, that is a good question, though. Like, I mean, it, how much does she know? And does she know more because she's there to sort of tutor you through the experience? Guys, what if she's not saying she's a robot? She's just announcing she's a sex worker. Could be. That's Could the be. really like. Here's the question. The question is, is that woman who he interacts with a robot or not? And if it is, are there robots outside of Westworld and what is their life all about? That's where I'd like to see. I want to get out of the park. I want to well, go I think that's else. what's going to happen and it's weird. It's going to become Blade Runner now. Like you're just going to be mm. out in the world sort of looking for the Westworld. I don't West think world. we're going to get out in the world ever. I don't know that there is a world outside of mm. Westworld. I think maybe everything. But what does Charlotte Hale do at night? <laughs> that's what I want to know. I think everything's dead and we just have Westworld now. Oh. And that. That's how the Matrix works. 1999's The Matrix. You know, I think we've been in The Matrix since 1999. Uh, it's possible. I believe. I don't want to know. Don't wake me up. I believe that we're in an alternate world ever since Al Gore mm-hmm. did not become president. That makes a lot of we're sense. We're on the bad timeline. Yes, and somewhere we're on the good timeline, but we can't get there. While I'm uh, poking holes in things, um, the I have a Matrix problem. I have a problem <laughs> with the Matrix. 
late breaking I have a couple news. of notes on the Matrix. I know it's a little bit, it's, uh, the horse is out of the barn at this point. Like, they probably can't go back and fix it. Why, if we are all sort of like enslaved and plugged into, like we're in the whatever meat pods providing energy for the Matrix and everything, why would they make Keanu Reeves, why would Keanu Reeves' life be like a shitty office job? Why wouldn't it be awesome? Like, why wouldn't it just be like, so, like that's how they keep you in check, man. What by why, making your life shitty? Wouldn't they want to make your life great? So there would be no impetus to even think about there being what another could reality be greater than being just a well-paid salary man. He like works in a dimly lit cubicle farm with like boss, fluorescent light. Yeah, he, yeah. And like he experiences some kind of little escape into like hacker world. But like, which also doesn't make sense that they would allow that in the simulation necessarily. <laughs> but why wouldn't the they simulation be so cushy? Very close to finding to out. make it just like real life well maybe uh, yeah because maybe that he, his bad job was supposed to inspire him to you know make some changes in his bracketed fake life but he could have made things be better you know i mean i don't know like like maybe there was more maybe there was more meaning available to him by staying asleep than by waking up that's interesting. I, for one, love that the James Marsden character in Westworld is too stupid to realize he's a robot because it feels like what James Marsden was born to play was like a hot robot who like everyone else knows they're a robot and he's just like, he's guys, so honorable we're people. and sweet and he just wants to save her over and over and over again. It is the most Liz Lemon aspect of Westworld. <laughs> it's James Marsden. He's, he's good. He What's did, up with Evan Rachel Wood's little hair hair, hair curls? Her um, payas? Yes. I mean, why and wherefore? Why do robots have weird Well, hair? I was saying I'm waiting for her to realize she's Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what make, gives her that streak of subversion. Yeah. Feeling she doesn't quite belong. I'm just saying, <laughs> I did write a whole thing today about how Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is about Jewish identity. Oh. Because it was written by Jews. That's funny because out. I decided not to buy a holiday card with Rudolph on it for a Jewish person. Well, all the fucking holiday songs are written by Jews. Oh. Which is why they're all about a fake, perfect Christmas that no one has ever had. <laughs> 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 what about Christmas World? I would like to go to, like, Nutcracker World. Well, you know? there is... Oh, yeah, you told me about this. I forgot. There's Santa a place World. in Burbank. <laughs> no, actually, Santa's Village. This is what Mukta, our producer, is nodding, because she knows that I've been really excited about Santa's Village. The Christmas-themed theme park that you just willed into being yes. is opening, reopening for the first time in 20 the, years. Because I'm actually in the Matrix pod, and they're trying to keep me happy. We have so, like, to go there. There is a Christmas world. Go well, for it. Well, it's also like find it. <laughs> I've never been to Santa's Village, but they showed the commercials incessantly all through my childhood. So I like have it burned into my brain that it's like a place you want to go, which is also what my parents say it was like about Disneyland, that they would show these commercials on national television on ABC for Disneyland, which to make every kid be like, I want to go there. Like, I see that this exists, and now I want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Santa's Village, their big thing, I think it opened right before Disneyland, but their big thing is they have like reindeer. It's like a fake Western village, but Santa, a fake Santa's Village, and then there's reindeer. That sounds wonderful. And fake snow. Great. Possibly real snow because it's in San Bernardino in a place where there might be real snow up on a mountain. Uh, we have to go and then get trapped by all the reindeer bots. We have not actually arrived at any theories about season two of Westworld. I um, guess I said it would be Blade <laughs> Do you have a lightning round theory uh, what will happen? Uh, I think Anthony Hopkins is still alive. I think he was building a robot version of himself to get assassinated on stage. 
And that's what the robot he was secretly building was. Okay, I think that Jeffrey Wright and Tandy Newton are going to fall in love and discover that somehow that child was both of theirs. Ooh. Wow. What Boom. about you, Alex? Um, I think that we will see uh, what Ed Harris does for a living in real life, and he is the- He's a cuck. <laughs> well, okay, look. First of all, so cuck. <laughs> it's seriously, he is in, in his everyday life, he is low T, and he is the, the, <laughs> he, he is the CEO of Build-A-Bear Workshop. Yeah, exactly. It's something like he's got to be, That's he's got to exactly turn out to be, it can't be like- He always, saves the children. Yeah, it's something like that, and he's like really unsatisfied. He's like, oh, I hate this job. Yeah. <laughs> Because he works in a matrix cubicle. Here is my other question. Did he, like, so the, basically, like, the Jimmy Simpson thing happens, and he's 30 years older when he's Ed Harris, and so there's an interim there. Was he going back to Westworld on the weekends, like, on some Brokeback kind of stuff? This, or like This is such a good question, because it seems like he has been trying to solve the maze for 30 years. It so took, it seems how like long he's does seen Dolores you? a million times. People keep saying that, and then I keep saying, I go to Disneyland looking as though I'm going to find something new every single time. No, I know, but it's it's just that they play it as if it's the first time he's seen Dolores since then. But I guess she just wouldn't remember. And all this stuff happens in one week. He could have done that. Like, so my theory is that it's like that South Park episode where they conquer the world of Warcraft by just hanging out in uh, the valley, killing boars for like months and months. And like, they sort of like, they get all like gross and fat because they haven't moved from their chairs. But like the world of Warcraft people eventually like find out and they're like, what's going on? Like, how are they? Like I'm doing, doing the Westworld iPad thing while I'm talking <laughs> that they actually figure out that they're just like in the Valley killing boars and like racking up. They like level up 10,000 times just by like, just sort of like sitting there just axing. Yeah. Boars. You got to find the, the glitches in Westworld. So he's killed Teddy like 70,000 right. times. He just like stays there just doing that. You find the glitches and exploit them. Mm hmm. I want to just recommend real quick before we're done with this week, uh, just a few Westworld chasers. I bought a book of uh, short stories, short manga stories by Satoshi Khan, who's the guy who made Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress and Tokyo Godfathers. And these are like his short stories. And they are all remind you that Westworld is like just in a genre that is totally exists uh which is the post-apocalyptic build a new world in place of the old world that got blown up genre that uh, our friend Emily Yoshida wrote a really good thing about anime and Ghost in the Shell and sort of that tradition and the post-nuclear Japanese tradition of really good, terrifying sci-fi. Um, so in the Satoshi Khan book, the first story, I feel like we were talking about this a little bit earlier, the first story involves... People, it's like the old cities have all, everything's been destroyed by a war and then some people became psychic and the psychic people freaked out the normal people so much that the normal people all moved to a city and made the psychic people live in the, the outskirts in the old cities. And then they start kidnapping the psychic people to turn them into giant mecha robots. Uh, and it's the story of like a couple where one of them gets kidnapped and comes back to like destroy the city as a giant mecha robot. And uh, it's great. And then there was another story uh, in there. It's called Dream Fossil, the book. Did I say that already? You've not said Dream Fossil It's yet. called Dream Fossil by Satoshi Khan. And there's another story that made me think a lot about the BoJack Underwater episode that we talked about earlier this year, which is about, it's also, it's a, a couple or just two friends. And then one of them is about to go into space to go to the new planet and the other one is not. But on their last day on Earth together, they go visit their old hometown that they grew up in, which is now completely underwater. 
and they like swim around looking for like things they might remember from the past. Um, so that's where I'm going to be after Westworld is in an underwater hometown of my own mind. In a water world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would recommend Fleabag, which is so good. And I also realized while I was watching it right after watching the Westworld finale that I experienced this like full body relief that nobody was a robot or maybe a robot. So I just think it's a good show about humans where we don't have to ask the question. <laughs> My recommendations, I'm going to say uh, if you are enjoying Westworld, because you know what? I like Westworld, I honestly. Like, I like yeah, it. Yeah, me too. I'm going to keep watching it. I'll keep watching it even though it gets bad. I don't like. I, I, was, I don't I, care. I just knew. I was like, when Ed Harris got shot and I got excited, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch six seasons of this no matter what. It's I will just a watch big, fun puzzle. End. I enjoy it. Um, I'm going to say uh, there is a book by Charles Yu, who's a story editor on Westworld, but uh, he's also a novelist and writer of short stories. Uh, Go read How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which is a a book about time travel and um, Mm. really good and really cool. Like, I would like there to be a little more Charles Yu, a little more of this book uh, represented in the way that Westworld does sci-fi things. Um, Also, watch Dollhouse because I feel like Dollhouse is like the dry run for most of these things. Like Dollhouse is super flawed, um, but it's really interesting. And like a lot of like when they start to like go out, you know, if they start to go out into the world, like that's kind of like a big part of what Dollhouse is about. There's like replicants walking around. Um, So go check that out and tell me how it uh, holds up. Parts of it are great. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Lena. Thanks so much. It was so much fun. And everybody go see Icebergs in one more week. And uh, tweet us all your Westworld theories because we can't get enough. That's not sarcastic. Let's never stop talking about Westworld. I I really, I can't wait until 2018, so I have to. Oh, God, it's that long. Yeah. This episode of North Mollywood was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at MTV Podcasts. And subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts wherever you find your favorite shows.